If you are the other woman in your relationship and you love this podcast, you would love the Other Women Community. The Other Women Community is a membership program designed to help other women just like you reclaim their relationship with themselves and heal from their affair. We provide a safe and supportive environment for you to open up and talk about your experiences. We give you the tools and resources you need to grow into an authentic, empowered individual. If you're ready to take the next step in your healing journey, head on over to theotherwomanandthewife.com backslash community to learn more about the membership and all it has to offer. Welcome to the podcast, The Other Woman and the Wife, where we discuss at length why infidelity exists and what we can learn from it. Today, I am joined by Luke Schillings, who I met through a mutual contact. You guys may know her from TikTok, Marissa Baker. She is the content producer who is your divorce hype girl. So I highly recommend going and looking at her content if you haven't already. Luke and I both love her dearly. And uh, we are so grateful that she connected us so that we could have this conversation and you guys could learn a little bit from Luke. So Luke, welcome to the podcast. Can you. you tell us a little bit about yourself and how infidelity has impacted you? Yes, of course. First of all, thank you very much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. I know we had a quick mm. chat before and it's yeah, it's exciting conversation on a topic that is so shaded in taboo and all of the things. And I think the more conversations that can be had, the better for everybody, both on the betrayed and the unfaithful side. So I'm a 40-something father of two, a son family man, or at least I was before I was divorced. I've spent most of my life not knowing what on earth it was I actually wanted to do with my life. And I've been in a variety of jobs, a variety of industries, and I've always been quite successful at everything I've sort of put my mind to, bit of a jack of all trades, you could say, um, which which is useful, but also left me feeling unfulfilled in, in some way. So when I did get divorced, and that was due to infidelity. My wife had an affair with a close friend of ours. And then for a combination of reasons, we ended up separating, divorcing, and then actively co-parenting and really putting my efforts and, and energies into that initially. But of course, I was also faced with this. I thought I knew what the next five or 10 years of my life looked like. And now I didn't know what tomorrow looked like. So it really did feel like a bit of a, a blank canvas. And to begin with, it was very intimidating, very frightening. But once I'd moved through that a little bit and started to recognize it as more of a blank canvas, which I could make as much mess and create and do whatever I want in that space to really try and forge my own future as an individual. And yeah, and took it from there. And I discovered coaching and then turned out I synced with it pretty well first as a client but then ultimately recognized that I've got more to give so I became certified and set up my business and I now help people heal from betrayal heal from infidelity amazing do you also offer your services to betrayers I do yes so I predominantly talk to those who have been betrayed I think in part because that's the side of the fence if you like that that mm -hmm. I fall on um, so there's an element of relatability there. However, I do have unfaithful clients as well, and both male and female as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for putting your mind to this type of work. I know that it is largely impactful for individuals who are in the midst of the unknown, which you know you had touched on 
that there was a lot of you felt like you knew what the next five to 10 years of your life looked like. And then the rug was pulled out from underneath you. How do you deal with the fear of the unknown? Deep question. <laughs> I, th- I mean, I've, I've always been somebody who has desired control. There's, I've always wanted to be able to try and plan out any given thing and take a situation and solve problems. It's where I'm best in a lot of ways. I'm very analytical and logical and practical. And so when you have all of that taken away from you, first of all, it's unnerving for for anybody. I, I think as humans, we are blessed with the ability to delay gratification. We are, we have this ability to make decisions in the hope that something in the future will be better than it is now. And I think even when it feels like you've lost that control, first of all, you actually have way more control than you think you have. It turns out all of that control that you believed you had before in any given situation was all an illusion anyway. Hmm. It was just a story that we've been telling ourselves. It was just our way of believing that the world is responsible for how we think and feel and how all of the circumstances that we are given, gifted in some cases and punished in others, or at least that's how it's perceived, are are just that. They're just things that happen, which we then interpret to make them mean whatever we want to. So I think when you're faced with that situation, it's okay. This is just my situation. How do I solve this problem? And I suppose for me, that's where my analytical brain, my logical brain kicked in. And it's like, okay, well, this is just a new problem that I have to solve. And step by step, work my way through that. What do you think the ultimate problem was for you as an individual when infidelity struck the marriage? Understanding why it happened, probably Mm -hmm. first. Trying to really get to, to grips of how it came about, then turning on the self and thinking, what could I have done differently? How did I not see it coming? What did I do wrong? Was I not a good enough husband? Was I not a good enough father? All of these quite damaging questions that you start to ask yourself and you assume that the other person is thinking and feeling, which is why they've, you know, in this case, chosen to to betray or to follow some bright light in in the distance that's ticked a box that they didn't even know was missing. Mm. And I think it's, of course, a very painful experience. It's very frightening and very lonely. And it's interesting, I've just recorded a podcast myself on societal expectations. And it's interesting how everybody else in the world seems to know how you should think and feel. Oh, (laughs) I love that. I I love that. Which is, but the problem is it creates this real cognitive dissonance because what you are feeling as an individual versus what everybody else thinks you should feel or what even you've been taught through movies, social media, through tabloids and what you see in the press. This is all of these things that build up how I think I should behave. So again, there's just a ton of expectations and the, the longer we hang on to those expectations, the more trapped and restricted we we remain. I realize I probably have forgotten what you actually asked, but <laughs> no, it's okay. It's all right. This is very lax here. Don't worry about it. There's no right answers. There's just answers. 
And uh, I think that when you provide your genuine answer, it actually allows people to come up with their own too, because then they can reflect. Can you tell me a little bit now, tell me if I got this correct, but did you and your wife choose to reconcile? When it, so first of all, I had expected, I I suspected that there was something going on. There was a friendship forming that I thought was perhaps inappropriate for a married woman and a single guy, particularly when this single guy was actually a, a friend of ours as well. So I actually confronted them both initially, independently, and they both convinced me that that nothing was happening. It was just a close friendship. They shared humor, a combination of things, and it was a bit more like a brother-sister type relationship. And mm-hmm. I trusted them, and I, I chose to believe them, and 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 that was fine. And then a few more months went by, and it became a pa- or more and more apparent to me that this did seem to be moving further in one direction. It was like baby steps were being taken a little bit each day at a time. And certain boundaries were certainly being pushed up against. But I didn't have any hard evidence. So there was probably six months of pretty devastating paranoia. In, in, mm. And in a lot of ways, that was probably the worst part of the whole process. Because that's the bit where I really, truly felt alone. I wasn't talking to anybody about it. When I was challenging my my wife, it was often being met with either some form of stonewalling or maybe a bit of gaslighting or just, just denial, basically. And would you say that she would become defensive? Oh, very much so, yeah. And I mean, that wasn't particularly unusual for her anyway. So there was an element. It wasn't like there was a massive character change. There were things, of course, that I noticed, little, just little details, which don't mean anything in the context as we're talking about it now but when you've lived with someone for well 12 years at that point we've been married for eight even the tiniest changes in behavior become really obvious or at least it seems really obvious and again there's an there's a risk of allowing our own independent cognitive bias to reinforce that belief Mm -hmm. to only see the things that that make the fact that I think she's being unfaithful, true. So I was really conscious of not wanting to risk actually bringing the relationship to an end myself by putting too much pressure just through paranoia. What if I was wrong? What, I was, what if I was misinterpreting? What if they really were just good friends? And and to have an expectation that your partner should fulfill your every need is unrealistic I, I think I realized that before then anyway and, and even more so now so if there were certain things that she was getting intellectually from a humor sense whatever it was from him but everything was still okay with us then I was okay with that but again something didn't feel right there was there was something deeper going on anyway so that's just prefaced a little bit but when it came to actually discovering that officially she admitted Yes, some emotional boundaries had been crossed. I think they'd kissed, but nothing more than that at that point. I'd already sort of made my decision about how I wanted to respond. I'd had this time thinking about it, processing it, and trying to figure out what was I actually wanted. Because you often hear people, and I think, again, many people 
coming back to the societal expectations, it's like, you know, well, if, if my partner cheated on me, that's it, I'd kick them out or, or I'd be off or I'd whatever, I'd drain the bank accounts or whatever extreme reaction that you do. But of course, when you're actually faced with it in reality, it's rarely that simple. Relationships are complicated, you know. So you know, you can't just do that. Not really, it's not without some pre- pretty significant consequences. So I wanted to try and fix the marriage. I wanted to try. I did. I wasn't prepared to just walk away from it. That said, I also wasn't prepared to remain in it just because it was the easiest thing to do, mm-hmm. or just because of the kids, or just because of logistics, or just because of finances. It was really important to me that they weren't any of the reasons that we stayed together. And of course, also, I only played fifty percent of that equation. Even though I wanted to, it still needed her to want to as well. And mm-hmm. if she were to want to, then she would. I needed her to cut him out of our lives. That that was definitely a, a definitive marker or line boundary that I, I wasn't prepared to um, allow. And ultimately, over a course of several weeks, this decision it wasn't really being made. And I, I she was finally in a position where she just couldn't really let go of him and ultimately decided that... Actually, I ultimately decided that this isn't working for me. This is too painful for me. This you're not meeting my boundaries, and so I'm I'm going to stick by them and let's separate. Uh, and then that's exactly what we did. And then we moved to towards divorce. Um. So yeah, so that's where it was. Was she doing anything helpful to you during this time that allowed you to process things in a way that put yourself at the forefront of your own decision making? So pr- prior to me actually making the decision, you mean? Mm-hmm. No, really not. <laughs> in what all could honest- she have done? What could she have done <laughs> in, that would have been helpful? In all honesty, in that period, in that particular period of time, she was not the greatest human being. <laughs> It was incredibly challenging. Um, in terms of what she could have done, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but speak to somebody else other than him about it. Mm. Her, her only confident in, confidant in that situation was him. Yeah. Which it's I a just, silo. Of course it It creates does. a silo and it, it has uh, only the intentions of the two individuals involved. Yes, exactly. And they're just reinforcing each other's beliefs. Of course they are. And it feels great. I get it. You know? Yeah. Uh, there were so many things and it's it's not like I was being told that I was a terrible husband or it was all because of me or this that or the other it was an abusive relationship there was was just none of that it's actually Mm -hmm. you know I still love you I'm just not in love with you anymore and of course we had two young kids we were both working full-time it was challenging but I think I just accepted that part of my life that's just what I thought it was supposed to be like and I think that she had made some shift at some point in the past that had started to separate. And I'm not entirely sure she was aware of it. And I certainly wasn't aware of it. And it got so far down that path that eventually the boundaries were crossed and it's very hard to, to come back from. I don't think any of these things happen overnight. No. So she, so she, I think, had, you know, it would have been better if she'd spoken to other people. Yeah. I think during that time, at the very least either professional or friends or family or anything but really it was just bounced between me and him and I tried to be as unbiased as I could I'm pretty I'm pretty calm natured generally speaking 
Um, I'm not saying I didn't have some moments, of course, understandably, but I was also capable of having very practical, again, like I said, logical, rational conversations and really trying to see things from her perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Even though I'd wanted to remain in the relationship, I knew that if she did make that cut, that sever with him, that she wouldn't be able to just turn that off. I knew that would require some healing time in itself. You can't just switch feelings off. So I was trying to be respectful of that. But again, I also recognized that I also wasn't the most appropriate person to be having that conversation with either, because I was also biased despite my efforts to not be. Yeah, finding someone that lacks a personal bias in a very personal situation that you feel safe talking to is hard to come by. Yes, of course it is. Yeah, I think during whenever I was in the affair, the only person that I felt safe speaking to was my step parent because she had endured it. But then when I like it was funny, I like looked back in my journal and it was like, I don't know that I really want this person to be influencing my personal decisions. Like, I don't know how much of their current reality is shaped by their own past experiences. And it was really hard to find someone who could be objective and put me at the front of my decision making. I think it wasn't until maybe two years post-therapy I understood what it looked like to consider myself in decisions that I was making. It was very much the uh, slow death of the people pleaser inside of me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Ever ever loving people pleasers in us, in most of us, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Luke, you had done a TikTok a while ago that really resonated with me in the sense that I think a lot of my listeners don't understand this piece, but you had said that one of the surprising ways that you had felt after the betrayal was that you resented your children. Can you expand a little bit more on that? Yeah, sure. Once we'd made the decision to separate and divorce, it wasn't a case of me just parting ways physically on the spot. There was some time taken. So we still lived together for uh, a little while uh, and formed a bit of a routine with the kids. We tried to start that routine right from the word go so that even though we were still living in the same house, we were having these, I think it's called a nesting arrangement. That's what people refer to it as now. I didn't know that at the time, but that's essentially what we're doing that so we're sort of like I'd go and she'd look after the kids and have the house and the duties and then I'd come back and so on we'd swap that so when I did move out and which is what ended up happening that routine was already in place so that had all been going on and I thought that I was okay it was obviously it was a difficult emotional time but it when I actually moved out of course that was an incredibly painful time I remember the day that I left and she basically bought me out so she bought me out of the house and obviously she needed all the furniture and stuff for the house so she basically just bought me out in that sense so actually on the day I left I was able to get everything I owned into one car journey which was actually quite depressing (laughs) but also quite freeing because now all of a sudden I didn't have a ton of stuff and I had some money in the bank but anyway that aside when the kids came to stay with me for the first time so I'd been out for a week or so and then they came to stay with me for the first weekend oh I had this overwhelming feeling of resentment and it was horrible because to begin with I didn't really know why I felt it I wasn't quite sure exactly what it was and I'd not really experienced it in the days leading up to it Mm. but I found it really hard to want to spend any time with the kids I just didn't want to be near them it's like they were it was like they were my trigger in a lot of ways and to begin with I didn't really piece it together but then I started to recognize that actually it's because I believe that they're the reason I can't make a clean cut in the relationship Mm. the 
process of healing and getting over both the marriage, the, the, the divorce that we were going through at the time, and of course, my wife and my role, my identity, everything that I'd been, all of those things that I felt like I'd lost. I wanted to just pack up and run away. I wanted to do the, you know, burn all the photos, delete all the Facebook accounts, all that. That's, that was like the, the instinctive, the primal response in me. That's what it wanted. And but obviously I love my children and obviously I wanted to be a good dad. Mm. So they were the reason I couldn't have that sever. And because of the way that we set up the the dynamic in terms of the childcare arrangement, I, it meant I, I meant I still got to see my wife like three or four times a week, you know, often only for brief moments. And of course, we were still getting on. But again, that was very challenging. I mean, she did remain in the relationship with the affair partner. So there was like quite a definitive wall in that sense. But again, it just felt like I never really got to part ways with that. So yes, that resentment was both unexpected and like really powerful, like really intense. And I did my best to try and not let the kids pick up on it but kids are perceptive I think it's easy when you do experience a bit of resentment to allow it to take control and influence the way that you show up in your relationships how did you go about managing that and processing the resentment so that you were more free to participate in your relationships with your children so resentment is as you say it's a terrible emotion it's not useful at all or not beyond the first little like nano flash of it just saying oh, hang on there's something going on here but once you've recognized it that's it that's where it that's where its purpose is, you know is no longer i suppose it felt initially there was actually quite a lot of force if i'm honest with myself like a willpower mm-hmm. like recognizing probably not how i'd advise myself now in all honesty but at the time, it was very much like just bury it a little bit and try and force through it and know that logically and rationally that I, obviously I love my kids and I want to be a good father and I want to set an example and all the things and I want to be there for them. And that, that just became my priority initially. Mm-hmm. Like I really focused on them. I put them at the top of the pile, despite the discomfort that it brought. And I suppose I did begin to process that more once I started journaling because that's something I'd not really done before that. But I did start journaling after I, after I moved out and that really helped process things in ways that I probably hadn't really realised. I'd also got one close friend who actually, in all honesty, was very neutral in, in terms of the way that, that he held space for me. He allowed me to just be and even when I asked questions wanting answers he didn't really give them to me in fact he responded very much like i would with my clients now it's like, i don't really i don't know what's best for you <laughs> but he i can help you find out coaching hat, he was he? yeah he was but he but he didn't know that and i didn't know that at the time but it, on reflection it was a, a really powerful and, and useful ally to have in, in that moment which helped me just keep focused and when i was having difficult times I was able to use that as a resource, as a safety to to revert to if I was finding things too difficult, whether it was just a message or a voicemail or an arranged to meet up. It was just a useful focal point. But it was actually a little bit later, and this is when the real shift made was made really in terms of my healing journey as a whole. And it was once I realized that 
as nice as it seemed to put the kids first, as, as that seemed like the right thing to do, because also that's what everybody else was saying, focus mm. on the kids, focus on the kids, you love the kids, all that love, use all of this and send it that way. It seemed like the right thing to do. And even though obviously that resentment was telling me it didn't feel like the right thing to do, even though I logically knew otherwise, the real shift came when I realized that actually if I truly put myself first, I put myself at the top of the pile and I prioritized myself in absolutely every area, the kids just got the best version of me anyway. And as as did everybody else. And of course, that wasn't an overnight switch. It was a, a bit by bit over time. But yeah, I think that was the key gear shift in the head that that changed from being stuck in that place of resentment yeah. because I was putting the kids at the top of the pile, but then they were also responsible for how I was feeling. I was allowing them to be responsible for how I was feeling. And once I moved that spotlight from them and onto me, then things started to change. Yeah, I think that the way that I start to reframe the way that I go about my relationship with my kids is I don't need to put them at the forefront. I need to put what their experience with me is like at the forefront. And if I'm not showing up for myself, then how could I possibly be showing up for them? Yeah, it's a bit like you, you hear on um, like the safety videos of aircraft when you go on, on a flight. It's put <laughs> your own mask on first, your own life jacket on first before you help anybody else. And we hear that, we understand it, and it makes perfect sense because you know, you're not going to be able to help someone if you've passed out from gas or whatever or you've drowned. And it's no different in our real lives. It's just, it's not as obvious. Well, also the value that you're giving your child in that moment is you are modeling self-sufficiency. Exactly. And that's really what it's at. I think that we're so obsessed with what the experience of our children is like that we lose ourselves in the process instead of it being, what is their experience like with me as a person? How am I showing up in this moment with my children? Am I actively engaging with them? And if I'm not, then... Why can't I? Why can't I show up in this moment and be intentionally connected with my children? I think the most valuable thing we have in the world is our attention. And that's what everyone is vying for, right? Our affair partner, our spouse, our children. Yeah. And like, yeah. And if our attention is like strapped and it's completely withdrawn because we have this internal torment going on, then are we really giving everybody the best version of ourselves? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that was very freeing. Can you tell me a little bit about, because remind me, you and your wife are in the process of reconciliation? We, yeah, she remained in the relationship with the affair partner for about a year, I think, thereabouts. Of course, there was a period of time where having him become more and more integrated with the children was uh, another very challenging time. So I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a relief when their relationship did come to an end. Yeah, it was just a, a whole, a whole, as it was a whole separate conversation. And we then spent the, the next couple of years just actively co-parenting, doing our own thing. Spent probably a bit too much time on Tinder and a variety of <laughs> exploring the world. And yeah, then um, I don't know, a year, eighteen months ago, we were, we were chatting and we were joking, and we obviously we'd, we were getting on really well. But again, not in a romantic sense. It was just. We were just good friends and still seeing each other in like the co-parenting dynamic, take the kids for days out and things. And then one of us said, you know, if we're still single in three months. Why don't we just go on a date again? And it was sort of just thrown out there. 
And who then, asked who? Actually, I think I might have asked oh, on, ref- on reflection. On I love reflection. it. Anyway, so that is what happened. We ended up, the three months went by and we both were still single. And then we had the conversation. It's like, okay, how and why are we doing this? And what is it we want from it? And again, those same questions came up that I had when I was making that original decision. Once I discovered, are we doing this for the right reasons? Is this just because it's is it just because it's the easiest thing to do? Is it because of history? Is it because of living arrangements? Is it because of the kids? Is it because of all of the things? Or is it just because the dating world is so difficult? But whatever the reason was, it's like what are the core reasons behind what we're we're doing? And of course, so we decided to spend three months being very discreet after the kids had gone to bed. I'd you know come round and put the kids to bed, and then I'd stay for a couple of hours, and it just built like that and. We decided in that first three months, it was like, no, we weren't considering ourselves exclusive, although neither of us were seeing anybody else at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was just, let's just see if there's something there. Let's see if there is something or whether, because by this point, she'd gone through her healing journey. I'd obviously gone through mine. We we're both actually quite different people in a lot of ways. We had very different objectives and goals looking for the future. Um, so we're like coming together as two new human beings in some respects, but just with the added benefit of having to sharing the same children and having some life experience together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we got to that three month period and had the conversation again. It's okay. Yeah, this is fun. This is something that we both still want and is interesting and we can see a future, even though we don't know exactly what that looks like. And then we really applied the the concept that I help some of my clients with, and that's the want match. It's we this list of things that you want as an individual and that your partner wants as an individual, comparing them with each other. How many of those things align? How many of things don't? Of the things that don't, can they be got elsewhere? In in as in in through different friends and family and connections and things. And just revisiting that, are the things that we want in life still the same? So we don't live together and we've actually currently got no intention of living together. We may in the future, who knows? But right now, the the dynamic and the setup works quite nicely. We both quite like our own time. We both like our time together as a couple and we both like our time together as a family. And although it's unconventional in many ways and I would have never predicted it, works really well because it means do you enjoy it oh i love it because it means does she enjoy it yeah i think so it must work really well yeah because the time that we spend together is so intentional the time i spend with the kids is so intentional it's completely different so the kids still come and stay with me the routine's still the same everything's pretty much the same other than we are together Mm. so it's yeah and I suppose like they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's more a case of we just keep communicating. And that was really the difference between... Sounds like you guys were able to align your intentions. Yeah. And I think just communicating them better. I think many people get into relationships. We go through that honeymoon phase and there's a lot of people pleasing going on. And we're maybe not laying out our true core desires quite in the way that we perhaps should. I think that's often the case. Often we'll see faults and flaws in our partner and deep inside we're thinking, oh yeah, but after we've been together, that'll change or this will change or that'll change. And you're not really truly embracing the fact that actually this human being is going to act however 
he or she wants and may never change and <laughs> may just yeah. be that person. And I think one of the big shifts for me was, and this and this probably even before we, we got divorced, but I spent a lot of the early years um, being quite frustrated by the fact that she didn't process emotions the same way that I did. We didn't deal with conflict in the same way. I wanted to solve the problem there and then. And she was very much a processor, take time, come back to it later, tomorrow, whatever. And as long as my expectation was believing that she should be different, then I was in constant discomfort. But the Uh. moment I realized, genuinely realized, actually, this is just my expectation. She can be whoever she wants and I get to love her or not either way. Mm-hmm. then all of a sudden that expectation's gone and the frustration's gone. And now, of course, there are times where she doesn't want to deal with it in the moment. But rather than me then getting frustrated and becoming passive-aggressive or doing any of the other things that could increase the heat, let's say, in the moment, it's cool. That's just who she is. Why am I trying to make us be something that she isn't? And why would I even want to? Is the question. Why would Why I, would want I to? even want to? Oh, Why you really to? are an elevated soul, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> an evolved, <laughs> elevated soul. I love this conversation. So I have another question for you. Tell me, what do you think the source is of individual frustration? Expectation and it not being met. It, it all comes down to what we think. Any Anything in life at all. It's all about what we expect from it. And the problem is then we're then reliant on that thing to show up in the way that aligns with that expectation. And it really doesn't matter what it is. It's a bit like someone tells you that the latest movie, latest Marvel movie is great. And then you're, like, you're really hyped up for it. You go for it. Your expectations were high, but it doesn't meet them. So you feel disappointed. Whereas somebody else might have told you, actually, oh, God, that Marvel movie is absolute load of trash. You think, oh, so you go to the cinema one day and there's nothing else on. The only thing's on is that Marvel movie. But oh, I know, but everyone said how rubbish it is. Oh, well, I'll go anyway. I've got nothing to do. I've got a spare afternoon. Best film I've ever seen. You know, and again, it's all because relative to the expectation that you went in, completely controls your experience. And isn't that interesting that you, I love the analogy that you just used because it it really does a great job at depicting how other people's experiences are projected onto us in order to derive our own expectation, which gets to the meat of whose opinion do you carry around, your own or everybody else's? Exactly, exactly. Whose opinion is it? And of course, we... It's interesting, we think about beliefs, which is where our core opinions are stored, if you like. But of course, those mm-hmm. beliefs have just come from witnessing something and thinking something over and over and over again till the point that it's become stored. And then when we see a situation, something happens, we get a, our brain immediately delivers this belief, which we think is true. We think yeah. it's fact. How dare you say that's not true? But actually, it's recognizing that all of those things are optional. We really do get to to pick and choose and question and you can keep them and you can chuck them away. It's do what you want with it. I, I love to do a good brain dump every now and then. And it is one of the analogies I use with my clients right at the beginning. It's you've got a you've got a cupboard or a drawer, and it's not a new analogy by any stretch of the imagination. If you've got a, a cupboard or drawer in your kitchen or your bedroom or, or whatever it is that is just full of junk and 
you want to sort it out. So you, you open it up and the first thing you do is you start picking all this stuff out and there's some stuff that is, you've not seen it in 10 years or like in the food cupboard, you've got a tin of food in there that's 15 years out of date you know? <laughs> or, or you just don't like that anymore. It's like, okay, we're going to get rid of all of that. But actually there's some things that I really do like. There's some things that I love. I'm going to put them back in the cupboard and I'm going to put them in prime position because they're the things that are important to me. Plus, I'm going to give the cupboard a bit, cupboard a bit of a clean in between. It's exactly the same with our brain, our thinking. It's every now and then it is worth just opening that little door on the back of your head and just having a little bit of a clean out. Get rid of the stuff that no longer serves you. Question it. Check it. Is it okay? Check the date on it. And then put back in what's what works. And I think you can't go far wrong with that. Oh, I just love bit... this conversation so much. Can you tell me a little bit about your own experience and how your thoughts affect the way that you feel? I suppose we simplify it. If you have something that you want to do, whether it's, let's say it's a task at work uh, or something you need to do or something that you have planned to do, if you're feeling motivated and driven and excited, then the way that you show up and perform that task is going to be with that feeling of energy you're going to get through it you're probably going to get it done quicker you're going to go the extra mile you're really going to work hard for it and achieve the thing that you're um, hoping to achieve whereas if you approach that same thing feeling despair or emotionally tired or resentful or bitter in some way or angry or unjustified or whatever it is then the way that you would then approach that task is going to be completely different and you're not going to get through it. You're not going to achieve it. So in very simple terms, it's a case of if you want to achieve something, whatever that is, and this can be a physical thing, it can be an emotional thing, it can be a relationship thing, then having a positive or I prefer to say a wanted emotion to drive that action is going to be the key to achieving that thing. And so that brings us that question of what is it that's creating that feeling? Where's that feeling even coming from? Feelings in the way that I coach has been as a a descriptive method, is a a vibration in the body. It's the physical experience that we have. It often feels like something happens and then we feel something. That's what it seems like. That's what most people witness. The thing happens, the event, the partner says something, the, there's some comment being made or you witness or you discover that your partner's been unfaithful or what, whatever the thing is. And then you immediately feel the emotion. Hmm. But when we link that back to those expectations we were talking about before, if the expectation that you had was that the person was going to do that thing or was going to say that thing, then it's not going to cause a challenging emotion for you and therefore you're still going to act in line with it. Whereas if it's against your expectations, then how you think, it shouldn't happen. That's wrong. They shouldn't have done that. They're rude. They're inappropriate. They're unprofessional. Whatever the setting, then that's going to create a feeling, a much more unwanted feeling or much more unuseful feeling and which will then ultimately create something that you don't want in your life. So I know that anything that I face, if I am feeling something that, I don't really like to use the term negative and positive emotions. I'm not really a big fan of that. I'm much more a wanted and unwanted emotions because I believe there are emotions that are very appropriate for certain situations. We might go to a a funeral and not really want to be feeling like excited. And, And there might be other situations where the opposite is true. 
So it's about finding a, an emotion that's both true to you that you can really feel and and resonate with, but also is appropriate for that situation that will help you drive whatever it is that you do to create the results that you want in your life, whatever that looks like. Luke, do you have any thoughts on kind of the state of relationships that do experience infidelity? In what sense? So just say that again, sorry. Do you have any thoughts on, how do I phrase this? Basically, there's a lot of commentary on TikTok where it's the blame game. Oh, the marriage was already ruined. Oh, the marriage was in a state of disarray. That spouse never even, you know, that spouse was neglectful towards the other spouse. Do you have any thoughts on the state of a relationship when infidelity strikes? I think the first thing that's really worth pointing out is that every situation is different. They're incredibly nuanced. We've spoken about societal expectations and the problem with them. The problem with them is that there's just one expectation and they're not yours. So assuming that one size fits all is always going to leave us in a place of disarray, shall we say. Mm. In terms of common things that, or or relationship statuses, if you like, that the stage Mm. of which a relationship is that leads to betrayal, again, it can really vary because I would like to say that a relationship where there's poor communication. Arguably, that was true in my case. That the community, oh, I thought it was good communication, but it turns out there was obviously some missing link that I didn't realize wasn't there. And I think that's, it's not worth, be, there's no point in beating myself up about that. You cannot know what you do not know. And I think, again, I wasn't intentionally coming here with all this expectation work, but it seems that it keeps coming up. But if I had the expectation that I should know, then I'm always going to be in a very, uncomfortable place Hmm. in terms of oh i'm trying to think what that's okay i think that i can probably give you a little bit more rope here i think that usually the state of the relationship is an uninformed one and an uneducated one i think that we engage in relationships before we're we actually understand the purpose of relationships And so I'm trying to lead you a little bit there, and I'm probably not asking the right questions. But like, how often do we engage relationships before we actually understand what it means to operate as an individual inside of a relationship? We don't. We're not taught at all. We're not taught at all how to be in a relationship. We are taught to be, well... A variety of things were taught to be dependent on other people. That's one thing. I, I remember believing myself that my partner completed me. And thinking that was a really good thing to say and a really good thing to think and believe. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. on reflection, it's like, how useful is that statement? Because that means that I'm now completely dependent on that person. And given everything we've already discussed, that can be quite a dangerous place to be because I don't have any control, which is ironic because I thought I was a person who wanted control. So in that situation, what do you end up doing? You end up people pleasing. And when we're people-pleasing, we're usually lying. We're usually manipulating. We usually, it doesn't feel that way. We think like we're trying to satisfy, but all we're actually trying to do is to tweak the situation so that it makes us feel better. Even if we, even at our own expense, in fact, usually at our own expense, but it's completely like non-apparent in the moment or in the time. So no, I, I don't think, I think the education system fails relationships. I don't think... Unless you've been very fortunate and you've got significant 
either primary caregivers, parents or family or friends that can really model a true secure relationship mm-hmm. from an early age, then to be fair, most of us don't stand a chance. But that's okay. At least we know that. It's yeah. okay. So let's so or what we can do as we're learning it and as we're I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning and will continue until the day I die, is be able to try and pass that down through education, through the content that we create, through my own podcast, through conversations with my children and my friends. And it's interesting, a lot of the people who listen to my podcast are just my mates. And none of them have been through infidelity. They just mm-hmm. apply a lot of the stuff that I talk about and it changes their lives or it has some significant impact on their life or it improves a relationship. They connect with someone that they've, they'd shut out because they were so bitter and resentful for. I don't have like a one magic pill that says, yep, this is the thing, because I don't believe in that anyway. But just being intentional and recognizing that actually, okay, I'm under-equipped. I don't know how to be great in a relationship. Generally speaking, if you don't know how to do something, you try and figure it out. But probably don't do it by looking at the people across the road because they'll be doing the same as you. (laughs) I love that. So if it's not looking at the people that are across the road or leaning into your family, asking the same sources that got you to the place that you're in today, Mm -hmm. little keynote there, what do you think that they should be doing? There's two things. One one is you actually actively seek professional help. That's definitely one route. It's not the only mm-hmm. route, but it's definitely one route. But really, it's just truly asking yourself. It's like, what do I want? What are my core values? And I think this is such a great measure. Who actually lists out their core values? Just write the top five, top three even. But if you can get more, great. What are your core values as a human being? And then... Every action that you take, is that in a line with my core values? And that will, I guarantee you, that will lead you in a better direction, no matter what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I think that when we act without intention, we are just reactionary. And if we're just reacting to the circumstances that we're in, are we being intentional about where we want to go? Exactly. Luke, I think one of the other things that I would like for you to share with our listeners is how, and this is so weird. I, Whenever I first thought about you and I doing a podcast together, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like having a conversation with a betrayed husband. Is this going to be like me talking to my ex? Is it? <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, um, whole, I only connected so I could come on and shame you. No, I'm joking. I love you Um, but I would love to know for the wives who have betrayed their husbands how can they create within them I guess uh, or not even within them but create a dynamic where the person that they betrayed feels safe enough to disclose some of their innermost thoughts and feelings that they previously haven't before or how just, did your, do you call her your wife or your ex-wife? It's a, it's a very confusing one. We we have this conversation all the time. We've got no idea what to call each other. Because obviously we are no longer married. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so it's, I'll yeah, say your significant yeah. other. Yeah, my partner. Let's go with partner. Okay. But then I say partner and everyone thinks it's a guy. And it's like, <laughs> so, but no, it's uh, ex-wife. How did, how did <laughs> your partner who betrayed you get you to trust her again? You know, she like. She didn't. She didn't. No. 
why would, why would she be responsible for my ability to trust? So, <laughs> I mean, okay, okay. No, I mean, joking aside. Well, I'm not joking, actually. I'm not joking, no. Of course, if somebody is going to... Well, what is trust? Trust is one person's belief that somebody will act or behave in a way that we anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very much about being vulnerable yourself to being to risk being wrong, to risk getting it wrong. You're always leaving that door open to the possibility that you might have got it wrong. Mm-hmm. If you believe 100% that you trust your partner, like 100%, there's absolutely no way that they would ever do something to betray me, then unlucky, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> because that's we're humans. People do not do things. We, you, listen, whoever's, whoever is listening to this right now, I'm talking to you right now, there is just no way that you can even trust yourself completely. There's always going to be times where you don't act in line with your own expectations. So the likelihood that somebody else is going to is is just, it's never going to happen, you know. So again, coming back to that expectation thing again. That said, of course, there are certain behaviours that, that people will take that will increase or decrease the, the likelihood that you could rebuild trust. Of course, trust is also, it is built over time and it is also built o- using repetitive, positive reinforcement, if you like. So if someone shows up in a particular way consistently, it doesn't mean all the time, it doesn't mean 100%, but consistently they show up above some predetermined level that you're going to make up in your own mind, then that's going to increase the likelihood that you can trust that particular behavior or action. It's no different to me getting up in the morning and going to brush my teeth and turning the tap on and trusting that water will come out of the tap or the faucet, as you would call it in the States, but and trusting that water would come out. I'm pretty confident when I go tomorrow morning and turn the water on that it'll come out and I'll be able to brush my teeth. But for me to be completely blind to the possibility that one day it might not because there's some water repairs work going on down the road to the the reality is it could happen it may not pour so again just being open to that is actually quite freeing in itself i think when we're trying to fit a perfect box it never quite fits. It just doesn't quite slot in right. It's not like when you get an iPhone and you lift the box and it slides out perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect fit box. It's like, well, reality in life isn't like that. There are no perfect fit boxes. Of course, if your partner is, or if you, as the the unfaithful, if you continue to show up in ways that are untrustworthy, if you do continue to use Things like you become automatically defensive every time you get questioned. And of course, that's going to make it harder for the betrayed spouse to to trust because they need to be able to see in a little bit. They need to be able to communicate with you. And you can't communicate with someone when the walls are up. Mm-hmm. And I get it. I get it. There's this, there's a lot of guilt and there's shame and there's all kinds of things being experienced. And I know you'll be able to talk to this, Chelsea, that there's, again, you, you've, you've, Turning very inward, it's interesting, both the betrayed and the unfaithful actually experience much of the same emotions. I completely agree. Yeah, it's, it's very similar, very similar. But we're just on like some opposite side of the fence. And what ends up happening is we end up building this wall between us and then we can't see each other anymore. And then the only option is to throw bombs at each other over the wall, which is just not useful. It's no, hang on, let's start 
brick by brick start just taking that wall down and that does start with that communication and just again if you are easily triggered or you find it very hard to have a conversation without immediately feeling defensive or wanting to try and justify just do a little bit at a time don't overwhelm yourself Set yourself clear boundaries. If a, a conversation goes to a point where you're feeling that emotion build up to the point where you feel like you can't control it and you're going to react and do something that you later regret, then just buy yourself a bit of time. Yeah. Just say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just not in the right space here. I need to just give myself five minutes and build that up over time. Rome wasn't built in a day and the same is true. But I think just having that, knowing that channel of communication exists makes a massive difference. Definitely. If I actually don't know probably anywhere near as much information about the affair as some people would like to know about the affair, but I know that the road, the door is open, should I? And that's enough for me. Obviously, I know certain things, but I don't need to know all the details. It, it just I can't, I can't see how it could possibly help me. Yeah, people often ask me how much of the truth do I need to share with the betrayed partner? And I'm like, you really have to discern what the purpose is of sharing those details. Yep. You are not obligated to reveal information that could be detrimental to the future and the past is done. And what are your thoughts, Luke, on how much of the truth needs to be shared with the betrayed party in order for them to get to a place where they can rebuild trust or have yeah. a willingness to even consider rebuilding yeah. trust. There's multiple schools of thoughts on this. And I've heard some people say that you should really just lay it all out, which I don't mm -hmm. personally agree with. I don't think there's... I love the idea of radical honesty. I do like that. But human beings... Sometimes brutal honesty... Is it more brutal than it is yeah, honest. Exactly. And that's the problem. Again, much to what you said is what's the agenda? What, what is the purpose? If you're just doing it to make yourself feel better in some way because you believe that somehow alleviates your responsibility of the situation, then no, that's not a, it's not a clean, it's not coming from a clean place. If, as far as the information that you should or shouldn't divulge, I think really that comes down to the question from the betrayed. If they want to ask questions and find stuff out, then you should be open to providing that information. Again, the graphic details aren't necessary. It just doesn't make a difference. Mm. And from my experience, both for myself and with my clients, when we're talking about, again, just offering some perspective from the betrayed, is although we have lots of questions, the reality is it's not useful because for every answer that we get, it just creates more questions. There's never an end game. So by you just, you, you might think that you're laying it all out and saying, oh, here's everything. But we're talking about events that have happened in the past and best will in the world, we all interpret things differently our mindsets were probably different at the time. There was other chemical things going on in our body that made us think and feel like this was the right thing to do. Whereas on reflection is now, actually, I can't understand how I ever did that or why I ever did that. And it's, obviously, this is assuming the dynamic where they realize that the affair isn't for them and they, they, it is all a, not a mistake. I don't want to say it, mistake is, is not, it's, it's a it choice. A it's always a experience. choice. A learning experience. That's a good, mm -hmm. good, good recovery. Thank you for, um, for me. But, but yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, it, it's a fascinating 
Either it's way. interesting because whenever I put myself in the shoes of the betrayed, I think, okay, like I understand how wanting this information will get you to a place where you will have more understanding. And I do think that where there is understanding, there is an ease and forgiveness. But there's also something to be said about your ability to comprehend another person's existence. I think that the only capacity and bandwidth that I have that can be utilized in a productive way is comprehending my own understanding of my own experience and giving people the freedom to be like, okay, you're going to make decisions that are all about you. And that has nothing to do with me, has absolutely nothing to do with me. So like it was like this futile effort, I think, whenever I try to put myself in the betrayed shoes, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like you seek understanding in order to provide forgiveness for this person so that you can move forward. But I think that there's a point where you're spiraling. You're really reaching for information that isn't going to bring you healing. If anything, it's just going to muddy the waters a bit more. Exactly. And I say, like I say, from the betrayed side, I, I would rarely, well, I wouldn't recommend going actively seeking all the information. It just doesn't make a difference. Your brain is going to offer you a, a pretty descriptive view of how it thinks things went anyway. And by having somebody try and offer you some information that somehow either contradicts that or reinforces it, honestly, it just doesn't fix it. People think it does. And I have clients where the, the affair happened 30 years ago yeah. and they still don't feel like they've got the answers. As long as you are waiting for the answers, then that will continue to be forever. And the answers don't really exist. Not really, because they're just an interpretation of the moment, yep. which is difficult to accept. I'm not saying it's easy, but just recognizing that and starting to ease Answer that. it for yourself, really, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Here's a question that I get on my TikTok quite a bit, and uh, I don't think that I can answer it for everybody. But I'd love to hear your response or like what you think, what you think the response could be. And uh, the question I get a lot is, how could you do that to someone you love? Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I would have thought that you'd be able to answer that question better than I. I really want to hear yours. Everyone's sick of hearing me talk. Sure, fair, fair, fair enough. Okay. Every conversation I've had, in fact, every situation that I have been involved in any way, shape, or form regarding betrayal. It's never about you. It's never about the betrayed. Not really. Because even when it is about the betrayed, i.e. The, the unfaithful partner has sought something elsewhere because their husband or their wife isn't meeting whatever needs or expectations, again, based on everything we've discussed, they were their expectations. It was the unfaithful's expectations, not mm. necessarily the behavior. Okay, of course, some relationships really should come to an end. Abusive relationships, there's certain things that actually you just need a way out, and that's fine, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when we're just creating this image, this dynamic of this terrible partner and then justifying that somehow. It's never really about the betrayed spouse. At least I don't believe it is. The only exception is, no, even that's not true. I was going to say in like revenge affairs, but no, it's not. I'm sorry. There is no valid justification not, for infidelity, no, everybody. No, there isn't. No. Oh, no, no definitely not. No, sorry. <laughs> 
but there's definitely there's some interesting things that go on when that does happen and obviously yeah i think the experience of infidelity really teaches you a lot about expectations disappointment and relationships in general i think that i didn't understand the purpose of a relationship until i was in my early 30s and now i'm in my mid 30s which hasn't been that long so it's been a while but yeah, I whenever I get that question of how could you do that to somebody you love, I'm like, I don't think you're hearing me. I didn't do something to somebody else. I did something for oh. me. It was completely without concern over how my decisions impacted somebody else. All I knew was I had these deep unmet wants and needs that I was ashamed to vocalize to the people that loved me in my life at that time. And circumstance will do something to an individual right? Like yeah. this circumstance of infidelity has thrown me into a trajectory of self-discovery that has now landed me on a podcast with you, which I am so grateful to so cool. even have this conversation with you, Luke. Well, Is there what? anything that you would like to share with the listeners as far as what you're doing now and how you're educating and informing others? Yeah. So I, well, first of all, just to sort of come off the back of that, actually, my wife having an affair is probably the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, for so many reasons, so many reasons. And I choose to see it that way because I've taken every opportunity that has come my way and run with it rather than feeling restricted based on other people's ideas of what should be or what shouldn't be. In terms of me, so I, I work predominantly with people one-to-one. I am launching a group program in the new year. I have a podcast myself after the affair, and I much like this, talk about everything to do with infidelity. There's the messages to anybody who's experienced betrayal, ultimately. Yeah. And I'm on a variety of probably too many social media platforms, and I'm not sure I do quite as good a job as you do. Oh, stop it. You do a better (laughs) job. Stop it right now. It's funny. Whenever I saw the name of your podcast, that was one of the names that I was considering because I was like, there's such a there's such an experience in life that's so neglected. Like you can find lots of content and resources for healing uh, your marriage, like The Courage to Stay by Dr. Kathy Nickerson. And I'm like, why aren't we talking about the individual experience? Like, why are we still so focused, hyper focused on the reconciliation of the relationship rather than the reconciliation of self within the individuals, which would provide you with a flourishing relationship? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I used to, I was like, should I call it after the affair? Should I call it during the affair? Because mine, (sighs) my content is so focused on the individual experience of all the different roles, you know? And I think before we go, I would love to, I would love to hear your thoughts on children impacted by infidelity and how they can be best supported in it. Yeah. So it's almost impossible for children not to be impacted in some way shape or form it's tempting to believe that we can wrap them up in cotton wool and protect them from all of the harms of grown-up behavior but the reality is kids are very perceptive and they see things and they notice things and they sense things even when you're really trying for that not to be the case (laughs) i have tried very hard to i say hard it makes it sound like a chore it's not a chore i love doing it but to try and offer my children just space to to feel and to explore their thoughts and just really, yeah, just be there for them no matter what. There's no right or wrong way to feel in any given situation. So it's not really 
because the kids themselves at the minute they're not really aware they don't know what infidelity is they're not of an age that really understands that and also there's no immediate utility in them being aware of that of course that will i'm sure come out just based on the work that i do at some point in the future but and if they have thoughts and feelings about that then just creating a safe space for them to allow that to happen and and not validating them i think yeah. that as parents we're so quick to want to control the experience of our children very much so yeah and then if you validate them in it then you can actually understand their experience and you can actually provide for them in a way that helps them cope rather than telling them not to feel a certain way yeah, or not to exactly. think you know like I remember I, I remember going through quite a bit of therapy afterwards and I would be like, but I'm supposed to feel this other way. And it coming out, that was actually not true. I'm not supposed to feel any certain way. Like I feel what I feel. And, uh, you know, the meat of it is understanding why. So, yeah. I love that you have been able to move through this with such grace and uh, the ability to put yourself first and be such a role model to your children. And so many people who are looking to you, Luke, as they're in very difficult times in life, you're such a positive light for the world to see. I feel very honored to even have the opportunity. So yeah, I, 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 I love it on every level. Yes, me too. Are there any last thoughts that you would like to share with listeners? Just Anyone know, who's yeah, in the... Stickiness. Just to know that I think I think it can often feel like when we discover betrayal or we're experiencing it from the position of the unfaithful that there's no way out. It's like this is the end in some way, it's like the end of something. But why can't it be the beginning? Why can't it be the start of something different, something new? And why is that a problem? I love you. You're so good. You're so good. You're an excellent coach. Luke, I hope this isn't the first time that we're on my podcast together. I would welcome a second opportunity to have a, a fully baked out conversation with you. Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you produce in the future. Amazing. Thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear your thoughts on it. If you've made it this far, you're likely someone who is invested in the journey of being the other woman. We understand that this can be a difficult and complex experience, which is why we offer guided coaching to help you heal and move forward. We encourage you to explore the links in the episode description or visit theotherwomanandthewife.com coaching to learn more about our exclusive coaching program and apply today. Thank you again for your support, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.